0: What could possibly prompt a person to drive a van into a crowd of tourists or a car into a group of protesters? What could inspire someone to hate another person simply because their skin color is black or white? What could motivate people to hate Jews or Christians or, for that matter, anyone else? If you were to listen to the the wise men of our culture, what you would conclude is you would hear that the reasons why these kinds of things and others happen is because of poverty, it's it's the result of inequity, it's it's about poor education, it's it's about disillusioned people and they go you know on and on and on. And very few people would argue that these things are wonderful, that that there's not dark sides to all of those things poverty is bad. There's no virtue in poverty. We know that. We could talk about all of those things. But here's what the Bible indicates is really at the root of a whole lot of this. All these things I mentioned were symptoms is what the biblical picture is. And the root is addressed in the third chapter of the Bible when God himself addresses the instigator of hatred and all kinds of other evil that's present in our culture and our lives. And the evil that woos us and tries to persuade us to follow its path. Genesis 3, God says to the serpent, notice he says, says to the serpent, because you have done this. Now let's pause. What is this? Because you have done this. You remember what the serpent had done in this instance? He would uh, persuaded Adam and Eve. He convinced them to sin, Correct convinced them to harden their hearts toward God. That God was holding out on them that if they just ate from the tree the knowledge of good and evil that they would be just like God and that uh, God had been withholding this one thing from them and they came to believe it. And he says because you have done this you are cursed more than all animals domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as long as you live. And notice what he says. I will cause hostility. Some of the older translations say enmity between you and the woman, and because your, between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. It's interesting because this is the first prophecy of a Messiah in Scripture. It's the first biblical prophecy of it that he will strike your head, because notice it doesn't say the offspring will strike your head. He will strike your head. And you will strike his heel, sort of foreshadowing along a whole lot right there. Now, after that, one of two brothers was crossways with God, if you remember right. Not long after this, one of the brothers was crossways with God, and God warned Cain, that brother, with these words. In Genesis 4-7, you'll remember, you will be accepted, God says to him, if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Notice what he says. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you but you must subdue it and be or become its master. You must subdue it. Did Cain overcome it? We know the answer. No, he did not. And you remember what Cain did. Verse 8 goes on and tells us that one day Cain suggested to his brother, Abel is his brother, let's go out into the fields, the first bait and switch. Let's go out in the fields. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and killed him. Hostility, violence, sin. Crouching at the door right there. Still crouching at the door of all of us. The serpent is able to, eager to control us, to control our nation. But part of what I want to do this morning is remind you that it will not be that way forever. It's important that we remember that. It will not be that way forever, because the serpent's head has been crushed already by the one who is greater. Now some of you may be wondering, what what does all this mean? I mean, what are you talking about? It, maybe it sounds a little ethereal to you, some of this. The Bible starts out this way, speaking in real concrete terms, we don't get it, but it kind of does, but As you follow your way through Scripture, what you find is you find that this one who has power over evil begins to show up repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, and he finally shows up in the New Testament in all of his glory, and it's revealed, illustrated his power over and over again throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And today we're going to look together at one of what could be many passages of our God's power over evil, and I want you to just reflect on it and I want the context that I just gave to you to be in the back of your mind. I want you to just listen to what maybe God wants to say to you this morning from this passage. If you have your Bible, open it to Luke chapter 4, verse 33 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 4, verse 33. You can follow along on the screen, but I encourage you, look in the Bible. I think there's value in having your own Bible. Uh, Feel free to use a digital one if you've got one on your phone. Just don't text. And for sure, don't say, don't Facebook. Uh, That would be bad. That would be bad. But if you're, uh, if you're looking at, uh, at Scripture there, that would be fantastic. I just think there's value in looking at it and seeing it, not only up here and knowing what I'm reading, but knowing that this isn't stuff I'm making up. This is like in the Bible. It's in the Bible. Okay? Uh, we're, we're in this series, We Behold His Glory, in today's message, we're going to focus on these verses. Luke 4, let's start at verse 33. It's what the Bible says. Once when Jesus was in the synagogue... A man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out, shouting, Go away! Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered. And at that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. If you think back over the previous weeks, we've, we've listened to Jesus' words, and he speaks to a storm, and it becomes still. He speaks to sickness, and it flees, and his healing comes. Here we see him speaking to a demon, and it flees. And this passage and the others remind us of who it is that we really worship, who it is that we're following, who it is that we need to learn from, pray to imitate the one whose life, values, character we need to imitate and obey. His name is Jesus. He's unique because he has power over nature, over sickness, over disease, and all of that, and as we see today, power over evil. And right now, if you're thinking like I think, we and our culture, our nation, need his help desperately. We need a little power over evil. It's at work in our world. So for the next few minutes, we're going to gather some insights from these verses about Jesus. We're going to, along the way, as we gather and learn about Jesus, we're going to see some insights, really, about the nature of evil. That shows up. You can't help but see it as we work our way through a passage like this. And I kind of want to finish by talking a little bit about how do we overcome evil? How do we overcome evil? We see the power Jesus has, but how do we do it? And uh, I think by the time we get done, hopefully it will be something that strengthens you, blesses your life. Hopefully some of us, we may think one way about evil as we walk in today. And my hope is that as you evaluate that and listen to who Jesus is and what he teaches and his view of things that... If your view is out of... If his view is here and yours is here, that maybe there will be a little bit of this going on. We need to align our views with his. Because think about this. If Jesus, as the scripture says, is the fullness of God in bodily form, who's smarter? Me or him? He's not just a teacher, a good teacher. I mean, if, if he's God in the human body... He is brilliant, insightful, knowledgeable. He understands things on a molecular level, on an invisible level, on a a physical plane that we just don't even begin to fathom yet. We don't always think this way, but it's important that we understand that this is who we're dealing with. Not just a good teacher, not just another Muhammad, not just another prophet of the ages past. I mean, he is the fullness of God in bodily form. So with that in mind, let's learn a few things from him, from this passage about evil and its nature and his power over. The first thing we see, first insight that you can glean really quickly, and obviously uh, from Luke 4 is this. Jesus believes that evil actually exists. And I begin there, and it seems redundant in our culture to some degree, to think, oh, we have to start... You, you, you can't assume that. I mean, Jesus, in fact, has no doubt in his mind that evil exists. And it's important that we note this and see this. He believes that evil is more than a force. It's more than a bad feeling. It's more, this, more than a symptom of some uh, educational deficiency. I mean, evil is personal. He spoke to it. It had independent thoughts and will. It responded independently to him. And Jesus acknowledged its thinking by speaking with it, dialoguing with it. He believes evil exists. He believes that evil can manipulate humans, given the right conditions. He, he, he acknowledges that in what takes place here. Here's why that's important, because according to a recent poll, more than 40% of our population disagrees with Jesus on this matter. More than 40%, 43% of Americans don't believe in the devil, Don't believe in demons. That's a literary thing. It's, It's a metaphor. Jesus didn't think it was a metaphor. He didn't treat it like a metaphor. It's important that we understand this because perhaps some of us are tempted to embrace the view of our culture on this matter. It's important that we understand you cannot defeat an enemy that you do not acknowledge. If I don't believe cancer exists, am I going to defeat it? Not if I've got it. You're not going to defeat ISIS if you don't acknowledge that it's an enemy. You're not going to defeat an evil one, the devil, who is gunning for you as long as you pretend he doesn't exist. And I use that word, pretend that he ex- doesn't exist, because there's, it's an interesting thing. Of the 43% who don't believe he exists, there's another segment who, who know he exists, but live their life as though he doesn't. Because to think about him makes them feel squirrely inside. And so I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it, a devil. I don't want to think about it. It makes me feel bad, it makes me feel frightened. It's a fear thing, is really what it boils down to. And to wrestle with things like, if, if he's real, and I think about that, how do I protect my kids? How do I protect my grandchildren? How do I protect myself? How do I de- What other things in my world do I have to rethink the reality of or how to deal with them if there is a real devil? And some of us are just so frightened about that that we don't want to go there, and so we just sort of shove our fingers in our ears and cover our eyes and sort of, la, 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 you know, we'll love Jesus, but we ignore the enemy. I w- would advise, I, I want to help you with that as we go through this morning. So I think by the time we get to the end, hopefully, if you can hang in there, I think, I think God can help you with this, if that's you. But for now, it's important that we understand that Jesus, who is God in flesh, the creator of all things, visible and invisible, he unequivocally believes that evil is real, and he believes that not because he's naive and uneducated. He believes it because he's brilliant and not in denial of reality. And in fact, he came, Scripture tells us, to defeat the works of the devil. Go read the book of Hebrews. So... He believes. Will you? Will you believe like Jesus does? Another insight about Jesus that we find in this particular passage and others like it is this, that Jesus will, he will destroy evil. It's foreshadowed here. It's interesting to me. Look at verse 34 in, uh, in Luke 4. The demon's speaking and the demon says to Jesus, Go away. Why are you interfering with us? Jesus of Nazareth, so it clearly calls him by name. And notice what it says Have you come to destroy us? Now, why? It's an interesting question. Why would it ask that question? Ask that question because it goes on and says I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The point is that evil knows its destiny, and it knows the one who will send them to their destination of destruction. Evil knows this. It's even foreshadowed here in this passage. We could read a number of other passages. I believe it's Luke eight or nine. Another instance where a demon interrupts him in, in one particular instance and says, "Have you come to, have you come to to, to destroy us ahead of the appointed time?" What's the what's the, the point that the, the spirits make? It, it knows, evil knows its destination is destruction, and knows that Jesus is the one. And for any of us who might believe that Jesus is too mild and meek for that kind of thing to to do such a thing, I want you to listen to Jesus' words. I mean, we live in a culture where we're all over some Christian groups about well, what does Jesus say about that? You know, what does Jesus say about heaven and hell? What does Jesus say about this or that? Well. Let, Let's look at what Jesus says. If you have your Bible there, open it to Matthew 13. And I want you to listen carefully. If you don't want to turn there, you can follow along the screen. But listen to this parable that Jesus describes because it's, it's not a parable that le- Jesus leaves to our interpretation. He explains it himself. In Matthew 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the workers slept... His enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and then slipped away. I mean, this is like every farmer's nightmare. You know, you, you plant your, your crop and, and you've you done all these things so that it to prepare the, the soil so that it'll you'll get the crop and it won't be entangled with all kinds of weeds and stuff. Here here an enemy comes along and plants all these weeds in the middle of the night. Verse 27 continues, the parable does. Uh, the farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted that good seed, it's it's full of weeds. Where'd they come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Well, should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied. You'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn." A few verses later in Matthew 13, down at verse uh, 36, the, the Bible picks up on this and sa- it says, At that point, then leaving the crowds outside, Jesus went into the house and his disciples said to him, Please explain to us the story of the weeds in the field. They're, their minds are spinning on that parable. They're thinking, what are, what is, Jesus has all these parables. They all have meanings. They understand that. And so they're trying to get their mind around. Please explain it to us. And Jesus replies, verse 37, The Son of Man is the farmer. Who plants the good seed? The field is the world, and the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one, and that many enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. Again, I might note he, he, he clearly acknowledges his reality here. Okay? The wheat. Weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the harvesters are the angels. Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. Son of man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. And then he concludes this Explanation by saying, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I mean, Jesus is the Son of Man, the Son of God, and for good reason, evil fears Him because at His command, evil is going to be once and for all one day destroyed. It will be thrown into a fiery furnace along with all that's evil, all who cause it, brings us to a third insight about Jesus that we learn from this passage, really. And that is that Jesus' spoken and written words have power. We see it. We see it at work here. Look at verse 35 again and listen to Jesus' words. We'll read into verse 36. Jesus reprimanded the spirit. He said, Be quiet, come out of the man he ordered. At that the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. And amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. In Jesus' words here, as I've said a few moments ago, they have the power to calm storms, the power to heal sickness and disease, the power to deliver someone from evil. And it's important that every one of us understands that just as Jesus helped this man overcome evil, he can help you, me, help our community, our culture, our nation, our world. But like so many things with Jesus, it begins with an Ask. He's not one to force himself into our lives. It begins with an ask. We all need to be doing that regularly. How many of you on occasion pray the Lord's Prayer? Probably more than you then raised your hands, my guess is. We're kind of, on a day like today, you're nervous to move. I get that. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation... But deliver us from evil. New translations even say, from the evil one. The newer ones kind of acknowledge that it's personal in the text. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one from evil. Matthew 6, Luke 11, these phrases can be found. Are you praying like that on a regular basis? Are you asking God, God, deliver me from evil? Some of us feel like we live under a cloud of evil, and we just lament that. We don't pause to pray about that. Jesus has the power to change that. We ask. Humble ourselves and ask. But today's passage also reveals a subtle clue about how to avoid and minimize the chance of evil affecting our lives. I just want to highlight this for you. in Luke... Chapter 4, look at verse 33 one more time. Jesus was in the synagogue. Now notice what it says, the text. A man possessed by a demon. And then it says, an evil spirit. Any of your translations say something else there? Some of them say an unclean spirit, not an evil spirit. Why did we say that? Because it can be translated both ways. It can be translated evil or unclean. And here's the idea behind the original, original Greek word is this. You want to avoid sickness and uncleanness before dinner. What do you do? Wash your hands, right? What do you do? You get clean. That's what you do. If you want to avoid an unclean spirit, what should you do? Choose a lifestyle of clean living, is the idea. Unclean spirits hang out where people live unclean lives. we get this on a, on a physical level. when it, You get dirty sometimes. Think about the world in which we live. I, you know, it is, it's like we live near a landfill. Okay? We live near a landfill. Are you going to stay clean near a landfill accidentally? Are you going to stay clean if you just do what everybody else does? Probably not. There's some intentionality. There's some effort that's that's required to to live clean in that environment. There is some intentionality that is required. If you and I are going going to live a clean life in the world in which we live where we're surrounded by uncleanness everywhere we turn, where it's profitable to behave in a business environment in an unclean manner, where it's rewarded in so many other ways, where it's popular to dress in an unclean manner or to think unclean thoughts about somebody else. It, when uncleanness is socially acceptable and applauded, all of us become tempted to think, this is the way to live. And scripture would tell us, that's the way to live only if you want to be tormented, tormented. By unclean spirits none of us want that I think the text is implying and saying the clue the hint here for all of us clean up our lives a little less of the evil ones tormenting from the inside doesn't mean that he's not going to torment your life from the outside because guess what everybody gets that I mean power outages occur right but the power by the grace of God came back on in time, right? That kind of stuff's gonna happen. The issue is will I live a clean life to distance myself from evil's access to manipulating my thoughts, my emotions, my behaviors? We just gotta embrace God's values, lifestyle, teaching, example. I wanna close with this story, true story. A couple of weeks ago, our son Joe was pulling up to our house in his truck. uh going to help me with a few things at the house. You'll, never, you'll just never imagine what he saw coiled on our front porch with its head pushing at the door of our house. And what you're thinking is exactly right. He saw a four or five foot black snake, sitting right there, coiled on the, uh, on the front porch, trying to shove its head right where the door opens. He was just butting his head there, like if he did it enough times, the door would finally open. Joy saw this, had a little bit of a freak-out moment, <laughs> as most of us would. And so he calls his mother on the cell phone. Mom! His concern was that Sam... Our beloved dog was going to see this or hear this and pick up on this, and he was going to begin barking because usually Sam is our doorbell. We know that when Sam starts going off at the barking thing that somebody's outside and we're tempted to just go, and you'd look out the, look out the little glass and you wouldn't see anybody, and so you would kind of open the door and step out. He did not want this to happen. So he calls his mom, who was home at the time, and says, Whatever you do, Mom, do not open the door. If Sam goes nuts, do not open the door. There's a snake right outside the door beating its head on the door trying to get in. It's a little freaky, isn't it? A little creepy. And uh, uh, Joe got there and uh, walked up, and it slithered away, and he couldn't catch it in time. He was going to tear it to bits with his bare hands. (laughs) Bite its head off. He was going to do all that, but but it got away before he could do that. Here's the point. Evil is always crouching at our door. Butting its head, trying to gain entrance, just waiting for us through unclean living, through patterns of lifestyle and behavior that we that we know better, but in a weak moment, choose. Waiting for us to open the door. I think the message of the Holy Spirit to all of us is, don't open the door. But the secondary message is this. If you've already messed up and opened the door, like we all have, Jesus can help you close it. And Jesus can help you get rid of whatever has slithered inside. He's the one who has and will continue to crush its head. And though it bruises your heel in his, he and you can be victorious over it. Trust him. Ask. He will help you. He has power over evil. Our ushers are going to share the Lord's Supper with us, communion, in just a few moments. I want you to think about this verse as we prepare to share in the Lord's Supper. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, Thank God that He has rescued us, that Christ has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son who purchased our freedom with His blood. He forgave our sins passage along with many others is just a reminder that he loves you so much that he gave up his own life and as we take the bread in just a few moments it's a reminder of his body nailed to a cross and as you drink the juice it's a symbol of his blood which was shed it's a reminder that evil does draw blood it does and it doesn't play fair and it is evil to the bone, to the core. Look at what it did to him. And as we take these emblems, there's an opportunity for you to thank him that he endured that for you. But I think it's an appropriate time this morning as well for you to look heavenward and just acknowledge if evil's been manipulating some part of you, your thoughts, your, your behaviors. your If you've opened the door to evil in some way. This morning, during this time, would be a good opportunity to thank him and to say, Lord Jesus, would you lead me out of the temptation that I've fallen into? Would you deliver me from the evil one? Because you purchased that for me with your said blood. And God will hear that prayer. Let's bow our heads and pray. And our ushers will service the Lord's Supper. All right, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you can speak the word, and the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, storms go calm, and evil come out. Lord, we don't pretend to understand how all of that works, and the fact is, we don't need to understand how it all works. What we do need to understand. Is that we need to come to you, the one who does. And the one who cares enough to speak the word and evil flee. As we take these emblems, Lord, the bread and the juice, we remember your sacrifice, the price that you paid for our freedom. We ask that in your mercy, you'd set us free that some of us free from thought patterns that have enslaved us. Patterns of behavior and speech that are not becoming of a child of God. Set us free of affections that in your estimation are vile and evil. We've maybe tried to rid from our lives but we don't know how to do it. Change our desires, O God by the power of your spirit and your shed blood, Lord Jesus. Give us victory over evil because you have crushed evil's head. This is our request, Lord. We thank you for hearing it because of the shed blood of Jesus, Father. It's in his name we lift this prayer and we take these emblems. One last snake story. <laughs> I know, I know. I don't like spiders. I don't like snakes. Remember the old song? I don't like spiders and snakes. And most of us don't. But heard a few years ago about a missionary couple in Indonesia. And they'd been there for a number of years. Indonesia, particularly the jungle areas, full of snakes and vipers and various things. And this one large. Snake made its way into the home in which they lived, and they had nothing to kill the thing with. It was, but it was a big snake. They managed to get out of their place and they ran and spoke to somebody who lived relatively nearby who had a giant machete and said, You know, there's this snake in our house. And he ran to the house and he it's kind of like, You know, I'm going in, you know, and so everybody's kind of there at the door waiting for him. He goes in after the snake. And he's in there and you hear commotion and banging around and there's a mess, you can tell. And about five minutes later, he comes out. Machete, kind of a bloody machete. And he walks out and he says, uh, snake's dead, cut its head off. But there was still commotion, there was still noise, there was still chaos going around. You know why that is the case? Because when you kill a snake... Once you've crushed its head or cut its head off, you have now decapitated it, but the rest of its body doesn't know that it's dead yet. And in this particular instance, it was a large snake, and so it was flopping around and made a mess of their little hut. But it was safe because one who was stronger had intervened on their behalf and lopped the head of the serpent off hope you'll think about that, that we serve the one who has cut its head off. And yes, you look around our world and there's a lot of mess going on. But you got a giant snake, a giant serpent. Honestly, someday I think we'll get to heaven and we'll freak out when we realize how big he is and the influence. Then again, there's a part of me that says, maybe a lot of it's bravado. And we will discover that we could have defeated him more easily than if we'd have just... Trusted more. But put your trust in the one who has defeated him. Because he's looking out for you. Okay? Let's stand together and close in prayer. If you need, maybe if you got a whole lot of chaos going on in your life and you just want somebody to pray for you this morning, we'd be happy to pray for you. Maybe this morning you need to invite Jesus to be the Savior, the Lord, and leader of your life. You can do that as I pray this morning. If you've never been baptized and thought, been thinking about that, you'd like to do that with us next week, we're going to be baptizing some folks next week. We'd invite you to come let me know. We'd love to include you in that. But uh, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, thank you for every person here. And thank you, God, that just as you told Cain that we had to learn to subdue evil and become its master. We do too, and with your help it's possible. On our own, it is impossible. But because you have cut the head off, of the great serpent. We can be free. There may be some chaos at times, but we can be free and empowered by you not only to be free ourselves, but to help others to be free as well. Would you give us strength? Would you give us courage? Would you give us boldness? And I ask God that you'd help our nation, our schools, our community. Pray, Father, that you'd help us to be one nation under God, the one true God, you. And would you help us, because of your favor for the forefathers, some of them who I mean, weren't imperfect people, yes, but as best they knew how at the time, established their nation with good intent, honor their sacrifices, honor the sacrifices of those in our present day honor the sacrifice of christ this world and all that it is is your own would you demonstrate your power over evil even in our community and culture and nation grateful for your grace go with us now as we leave this place may we walk in your power trusting in it it's in jesus Jesus' name we pray amen